When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Let's head on over and have a chat with Paul Dennett. He's an award-winning cricket podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered. And he joins us on the Overnight Crowd. G'day, Paul. G'day, Hita. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for the time once again. And uh, firstly, we introduce you as the award-winning, and you and your podcasting team could be soon adding more awards to the trophy cabinet as well. Yeah, yeah, kind of you to mention. We got nominated for um, the inaugural um, World Podcast Awards in the, in the cricket category um, for Cricket Unfiltered and Cricket Daily. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, what I say, no, we got shortlisted for that. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well done to uh, yourself, uh, Manners, and also Jalissa. Great team of uh, everyone getting involved. And, uh, yeah, it's a great reward, I think, for uh, all of the content that you uh, put out as a team. And uh, as I was saying before, it's free. You get around it. I mean, all the time there's an end of the day uh, wraps as well. So, I mean, it's just a great thank you for uh, all the work that you do as a team. Well, thanks for that. That's very, very kind of you. Um, and I think I've said it before that um, if we weren't recording it, I'd be boring my family with it anyway. So we might as well put it to air. <laughs> it's a good way to be. Uh, England finished day three, uh, seven for 258, fighting back from four for 36. Uh, Johnny Bairstow following the Usman Khawaja-sized footsteps of day two to score a century that he and we may have never believed could happen again. What a good day of cricket. I, I thought days one and two were, you know, the Kawaja century was fantastic. But other than that, they're a little bit on the slow side. And then suddenly day three was a, a rollicking sort of day. I mean, uh, once they got on, uh, once the, the early showers cleared and that opening session where um, catches were dropped and wickets were falling and it looked like England would be lucky to make 100. And then that moment when uh, the stumps were hit by um, Cameron Green bowling to Ben Stokes crashed into off stump and should have had... Um, the stumps flying, and they just um, stayed put. The bales didn't come off. And then uh, Stokes and Besto both, I think, freed up to a degree because of their injuries. Besto has his side strain from the day before. Um, sorry, uh, Stokes has his side strain from the day before. And mm. Besto copped a nasty one on the thumb that oh. he showed tremendous courage to, to keep on going with. But they both were freed up and sort of played their shots. It was really the first time, really, on the whole tour that an, uh, either um, any England batsman really played their shots and they were re- were rewarded and, yeah, at least England are still in the fight now. Johnny joins a prestigious list of English batters to uh, score multiple Ashes centuries on Aussie soil this century. Uh, Cook, Vaughan, Peterson, Trot and now Bairstow and he, as you said, really gusted out following that blow on the thumb from Pat Cummins. Yes, and it was um, probably a career, or at least as far as his test career is concerned, potentially a career-saving innings. It's been mm. a long time since he scored a, a test century. And, yeah, he was emotional uh, at the end. He got brought up his 100 with a, a slashing boundary in the last over of the day. And, um, you, you know, even as an Australian, you have to feel happy for him. And the that the courage that he showed, I you know, it was one of those ones that, 
I almost had to turn away watching the replay. That's how violently the, and the thumb seemed to be so exposed <laughs> and out there when it just crunched into it. So to have continued uh, beyond that, that's uh, tremendous, tremendously courageous. And it'll be interesting to see what his approach will be tomorrow morning. Does he continue to uh, play aggressively? Because he kind of went into his shell a little bit right towards the end. Mm. So if he starts to play a few shots tomorrow and starts to bring the lead um, you know, back down towards 100, uh, it could start to get a little bit interesting. When I was still the mug um, park cricketer that I always was, Paul, I used to. I never liked those gloves with the massive sort of thumb guard on there. I always liked the more cigar uh, style, I think they were called. But seeing how much, yeah, Johnny's finger bounced off the bat from that delivery today, I don't think there's such a thing as enough padding on a man's finger when uh, you see just how damaged it looked after that hit. I remember just as I started the, I don't know, the the old-fashioned gloves that had that those green sort of spikes on them, they were just going out. I saw okay. some of those and I thought, oh, um, back in the old days, um, it actually got Don Bradman into the side because he'd been dropped and uh, Bill Ponsford, who was Australia's best batsman at the time, got hit on the, the knuckles by Larwood and it broke his finger and his finger never was able to straighten again. And I've seen a picture of the glove that he was wearing. I thought, no wonder his finger got broken. It's an absolutely useless piece of equipment. So, yeah, things have improved a lot these days. What about Usman's innings? Uh, 11 years after his debut on the same ground, he peeled off a ton that many, I think, will remember for a long time. Yeah, and I was, I was saying to people yesterday that um, you'd, you'd look at the way he played yesterday um, and just think that he'd been a fixture in the Australian side for years. He just looked so controlled and assured and he's um, so elegant in the way that he plays his strokes. And um, I was pleased that one of the... Um, uh, I think it might have been Malcolm Knox in the in the Channel 9 press was picking up on the fact that the Sydney crowd really do have him as a favourite because that's yeah. something I've always kind of noticed that right from his first ever test match, that the the roars that he got, there's, there's, I don't know, there's, there's a um, they warm to him even though he's, he's now a Queenslander, um, but especially with the the Barmy Army kind of not in its normal presence because of the the COVID situation, the the local support for Kawaja was uh, really really rang true, and I think it was delightful, and uh, I'm just really happy for him, and I, I hope that the selectors pick him for the for the last test in Hobart. I really do think that he deserves to, to be maintained in the squad and in, in the 11. And even if he isn't, I'm sure he will be featuring in the upcoming tours to, to Asia. There's no such thing as justice in test cricket, is there? With uh, Joe Root has the year that he had last year, third best calendar scoring year on a record. He gets a duck first up in 2022. And after being without much help, as far as other runs from teammates, he has Bairstow and Stokes both occupy the crease for an extended period of time. You can't win. <laughs> yes, it was... Um... It was, a, it was a probing over that from uh, from Boland. I, I love Boland. Just you know, attacks the stumps and attacks the stumps, and then when he finally did give a little bit of wit to to Root, um, his eyes lit up, and uh, the commentators have made great play about the fact that that's the sort of shot that in England he um, extra, extremely elegantly punches to the cover point boundary for four, but with the the extra bounce in Australia, that sometimes that's not quite the shot to play. And there's a good catch from Steve Smith as well. He, he was very clearly. Um, it surprised him when he caught it. His expression was all um, went flashing up, and he managed to to, to to cling onto it. So, yeah, poor old Root. Um, he's um, looking like he might go through yet another tour of Australia without scoring a century, and yet another tour of Australia where he's actually batted pretty well. Mm. What do England do at the top of the order? Hamid and Burns didn't work. Hamid and Crawley not working. If they gave you the keys, what do you do? Move Milan to opener? Well, I, I think I said before I would get Ollie Pope. Um, back into the side somewhere, um, and I think that uh, I think Hamid at the moment doesn't inspire me with much confidence. Um, 
they made the point that uh, Graham Gooch has had a shocking tour of a, a shocking Ashes series once, 1981, and that Michael Atherton had a shocking one in 1998-99, and they both came back and had excellent careers. So it wouldn't be the end um, for Hamid, but um, it just looks like he's a little bit um, outgunned at the moment. So I suppose yeah, um, opening up with Milan wouldn't be the worst thing if they if they brought um, Ollie Pope back into the side, but. The other interesting thing is going to be going into the next test match is how many of them are going to be actually available to play. I mean, Stokes might be um, out injured. Uh, Bearstay might be out injured. Uh, Butler's playing injured as well. He might get dropped or he might be um, excluded <laughs> through injury. So there's, um, uh, they've brought Sam Billings um, back in for cover for the final test match. So he's probably not the worst option, actually. Those bales that they're using at the SCG, Paul, are they um, normal weight or, you know, green hits, Stokes off stumps? It gets given out as well. That was the weirdest part for me. But on replay, we find out that the ball didn't hit the stump hard enough to remove the bale, and that was that was it. Yeah, it was a bizarre few seconds. Um, I've never seen someone give, get given out LBW bold before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, it's, it seems to be a trend in recent years that bales do fall off less readily. And I think maybe it's to do with some of the um, maybe the extra hardware that's in some of well, these, these aren't zing bales. So um, I, I'm not really sure, but uh, it, it's, it's humorous and everything else, but it's not ideal. And I'd say this, whether it was regardless of whether it was an English batter or an Australian batter, yeah. I think that yeah. it's, it's hard enough to get a batter out anyway. So uh, I would advocate for saying, look, the bales were brought in 200 years ago because back then you, you weren't always sure whether the stumps were hit. These days we know you can get Snicko on there and um, you could be certain. So, I'd make it that if, if it hits the stumps, even if it doesn't knock the bales off, then it should be out. And if, 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 if in doubt, check with the um, the technology. I'm sure purists would, would really disagree with that. But if it was brought in, I think it would actually make the game ever so slightly better. How about Ben Stokes' efforts with the bat? He's uh, side strained up, and you can see the pain with each swing of the blade. He finishes on 66, uh, claimed by Nathan Lyon, uh, LBW, who himself had a bit of a weird day. Uh, but, yeah, what did you make of uh, Ben Stokes' efforts? Yeah, really impressive and um I think that it's a pity he hadn't played with that level of freedom throughout the earlier matches. I understand why he didn't, because he's always coming in in a crisis. But he, you know, he's got his 66. I'm just looking here of 91 balls. Um, at the rate he was scoring in earlier matches, if he was going to get 66, uh, he, he would have had to bat over, you know, 250 balls or something, which is <laughs> pretty difficult to do. Um, the the, the, the courage he showed, he hit uh, consecutive or three boundaries in a row off Mitchell Stark when his side was clearly giving him um, great pain and it's not just courage it's also selflessness I suppose that you know you play one too many shots like that and you could turn a, a four-week recovery into 12-week recovery and that's a you know for some of these players that could, could could put IPL contracts um, under jeopardy and, and other things as well and it was very interesting when he got out that it was totally against the run of play Lyon was um, looking as innocuous as he's looked ever since uh, since the um since last summer um, against India and then he got one to hurry on. Stokes missed it and um, walked, basically. Didn't even look at the umpire, just stormed straight off, which, you know, fair enough, it was pretty plum. The spell of bowling, unfurled by Cam Green and Scott Boland, where England didn't score for 70 bowls as well. Uh, how's the pressure from, you know, the two junior members of the attack? It's funny because it didn't feel like a... Normally, 70 balls without scoring would be one of the driest periods of, um, of cricket you could ever imagine. And um, I was talking to, to Manners in the podcast today, and he was saying that he'd heard that the last time the, the, the last time it's been more than that was when Australia was batting for a draw in uh, 2016 against Sri Lanka, where they just weren't trying to score. Um, but it was it was gripping stuff. And yeah, uh, Boland has become a, a crowd favourite. Uh, it's just a you know it's a wonderful story to think of all that time that he played in front of uh, empty stadiums to become a 
a crowd here at the MCG uh, as a Victorian, which is fair enough, but to then become a crowd here at the SCG as a Victorian is even even more impressive. And Cameron Green, yeah, his batting hasn't looked so good yet, but um, his bowling looks superb. His record uh, this series is just extraordinary. I think he had seven for 77 going into this match. Um, so it's now, what, eight for 101. So he's averaging, what's that, 12, a bit over 12. Um, that's that's certainly a good way to make up for, for, for some slightly disappointing batting. And I'm sure his batting is going to come good, I think, because, you yeah. I'm still every bit as excited about Cameron Green as I was at the start of the summer. 100%. And uh, also with some whispers around today of Hazelwood not getting up for the fifth test in Hobart, having someone like Scotty Boland at the moment in this blighting form isn't the worst thing to happen. No, and it'll be interesting to see what they do once again. That um, um, I'm not sure whether Richardson will, will be available for that final test match um, as well. Um, so we've got this embarrassment of riches and... You know, the, the only caveat to that is that um, today was the first time um, all summer where we've looked a little bit as though we're struggling. There was that, uh, I suppose there's the partnership from Rude and Milan uh, in the first test match, but there was that period today where Cummins was bowling and, you know, he's bowling to Mark Wood, bowling around the wicket, bowling bounces with the field spread. And you're thinking, this is not necessarily what you'd expect from the world's number one bowler against the tail ender and then getting... Um, tonks for a few sixes and so uh England really started to put a little bit of pressure back on so it will be interesting to see what Australia does um first thing tomorrow uh, they had that criticism of not being able to bowl India out a couple of times uh, last summer so um it's going to be a very fascinating first couple of hours I reckon and uh what about uh so we've got the lead uh, for Australia at 158 there's a bunch of rain forecasted for tomorrow uh, you can never say never though as far as getting a result in this series uh as far as uh, what we've seen from England but uh as far as predictions go are we going to get a result in do you think uh, on day four and day five well everyone seems to think it's going to be a draw and obviously it may well be but I've consistently thought that the forecast is a little bit better than than everyone's saying that um mm. um that, looking at the hour-by-hour hour forecast, unless it's changed in the last couple of hours, I think we um, we actually should get a fair degree of cricket in uh, tomorrow and the next day. Um, and the thing with Sydney at this time of year, that the, it is quite changeable. You get um, bands of rain that move across and um, they could easily just miss the ground or just hit it. So it's, it's a bit hard to predict, but I still do think that there's every chance of um, a result. I note that England went from 0% to 2% on Crickviz, so... Um, <laughs> We're up with potential for one of the biggest upsets of all time there. But I, I still think Australia has every chance of winning. Uh, just before we move on to uh, the other test matches uh, going on that have uh, concluded across this week, uh, Shane Warne and his strike rate this summer. Is there any market in Warney doing uh, you know, fire-up vids on a Swish or Cameo-type platform, saying as he's got Stark and Usman both over the line after clouding them in doubt so far this summer? <laughs> and then did you see a little stoush with um, Chad Sayers? Yeah, well, yeah. T- champing him. Yeah, that was um. Yeah, he didn't he didn't hold back, did he? Um, saying to, to Chad Sayers, because um, Chad Sayers sort of made that same point that you did, and then he said, "Yeah, I, I bowled spin and you bowled in inverted commas pace, but the keeper stood up for both of us." It's like, God, um, yeah, that was um, <laughs> wasn't the most uh, edifying of things. Um, yeah, yeah, things are never boring when 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 Warney's around. Um, I noticed I, I didn't actually see it, but they had the um, 
the, the Prime Minister on in commentary, and they chose Isha Gua and yeah. Adam Gilchrist to have as co-commentators. <laughs> they should have had Warnie in there with him. Well, he would have been just yeah, slapping him on the back and having a great time. Luckily, there was that Cam Green wicket, which uh, did um, you know sort of uh, train no, train track the uh, conversation as uh, yeah, Scotty was uh, winding up for a big uh, sort of yap there for a minute. But uh, it was weird, weird scenes as far as uh, the coverage goes with that sort of a thing happening. It's been a tradition for years that the sitting Prime Minister um, goes to the Sydney Test match. And um, I, I think for some of them that genuinely loved cricket, it was a genuine pleasure. But I think others who have been not sports fans have been felt as though, oh, gosh. They, I could even imagine some of them, not naming any names, might have been sort of uh, sitting up late at night trying to memorise players so they could um, uh, <laughs> justify, you know, not, not, not make a fool of themselves. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, and I think it was, um, was it Jim Maxwell who told a joke about... Um, um, one of the politicians that um, he pointed to the scoreboard and I think um, Devin Malcolm and Angus Fraser had just taken um, wickets and it was so it basically said Malcolm Fraser and oh. he was able to say oh look at that it was a, bit, a political reference back in the day and whoever was the um, whichever politician it was knew so little about cricket he couldn't even read the scoreboard to understand what he was saying so the joke <laughs> fell on, on, on flat ears but um, <laughs> yes it's um it's funny how the politicians feel they need to pretend to love sport. And, of course, some of them do, genuinely do. We'll move on to uh, those other test matches going on in Bangladesh with a famous win over New Zealand. Eight wickets, the total, a fantastic reward and a real feel-good moment for world cricket as well. Yes, absolutely. I was um, you know, really, really pleased to see it happen because uh, I did note during the Australia series against Bangladesh that we got thrashed in over there in the, in the T20 that... I was very impressed with the the Bangladesh um, fielding, as in it looked, um, you know, quite elite, and it's a pretty good marker of where a side is at because it's the it's the one thing that you can just improve through hard work. And whenever a side is fielding well, I think then you know maybe there's um they're going going in a good direction. And then they had such a terrible um, World Cup. I was thinking, oh well, that's I've clearly read that wrong. But the fact that they were able to go to New Zealand and you know, they, they just played consistently well um, throughout the entire game. Um, so, uh, you know, New Zealand had a pretty good first day, but then Bangladesh hit back uh, and had a crucial second afternoon where they only lost two wickets. They got to, um, you know, New Zealand made 300, 300-odd. Bangladesh got to within about 150 of that on the second afternoon. And from then on, they were always in the game. And I think everyone was just expecting them to, um, you know, normal service to resume and for a, a collapse or something to occur. But they they cruised to the victory in the end. So, yeah, um, test cricket, which we always worry about in terms of the number of viable competitors, if a nation of the size of Bangladesh could ever become, you know, sort of fulfil their potential, um, that would be fantastic. Ebed yeah, uh, Hassan is uh, some sort story. He goes from the Air Force. He wins a bowling competition. Uh, there's volleyball mixed in there as well. Gets to test cricket not too long after that. He was unplayable at some points against the Kiwi Bats. Yes, he was. And... Um, it was really, um, it's, it's funny how the, the um, sometimes the professionalism of the Australian game prevents some of those um, weird and wonderful stories um, occurring these days. I suppose we've got uh, someone like a um, Carey who came via Australian rules, but normally these days you get identified at a young point, you go through the pathways and the junior cricket and, um, you know, it's a much more orthodox way to getting there. I mean, I think back in the day um, when Wazim Akram made his debut for, for Pakistan, Basically, Imran Khan had seen him somewhere and plucked him from obscurity, and next thing he's playing for Pakistan. Everyone's thinking, what's this guy doing here? And then they saw him bowl and said, oh, that's what he's doing here. So, yeah, um, a wonderful story.
And finally, South Africa tying up their series versus India 1-0 uh, following a gritty seven-wicket win. Dean Algar peels off 96 not out as the Proteus sort of correct the opportunity that, that they had in the first test by getting this win in the second test. Yeah, and another one that is heartening because South Africa, uh, I, I don't know how they keep on playing so well because they lose um, so many of their cricketers to domestic cricket in England. Um, they've lost so many cricketers who've emigrated to other countries as well. And then in more recent times, they've had a sort of board disputes and whatever else, but they just seem to uh, continually produce uh, impressive players. It was good to see also uh, Dwan Olafia, who uh, had gone to England uh, on what they call a Colpac contract, which basically meant he'd never play for South Africa again, but that's ended and he has an excellent record. So for him being back in the side, and you look at that and you, with him uh, and Rabada and, and Gidi, that's a, a pretty impressive lineup. And they've also got... Um, Marco Janssen, who's um, new, a new face as well, who bowled particularly well. So yet again, it seems that South Africa, who look like they're on the canvas as far as um, Test cricket is concerned, is, um, has picked themselves up after losing that first game to India at Centurion, which um, you know they never normally lose there. Uh, another, heartening, uh, another heartening result for the world game. Any thoughts on Quinton de Kock's uh, perhaps expedited uh, exit from Test cricket, retiring at the age of 29? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure. I think that um, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty around it, and sometimes I don't know. I think that the the monetary side of things is is a significant one as well. That um, that if you play Test cricket for Australia or India or England, you make a fortune. You're playing in front of big crowds, and it is the sort of you know you're living your dream. You're playing for a nation like South Africa, sometimes. You know, from a financial point of view, you'd be better off putting it away and just um, focusing on um, short-form competitions around the world. Um, and you know, maybe it speaks further to the fact that the, the things aren't as, as as rosy as they should be in South African cricket. I'm not sure. And uh, just lastly, Virat sits out with upper back spasms, uh, the rarer of the back spasms in my uneducated opinion. But uh, KL Rahul steps in as skipper. Complete speculation, of course, on my part. But is there some discontent around the Indian camp at the moment? Well, it's another one. It's quite possible that um, uh, Coley was um, about, what was it, six months ago, basically untouchable, captain of the Test team, the one-day team, and the, the T20 side, uh, relinquished the T20 captaincy, which some thought might have been to forestall the selectors uh, p- uh, punting him from the 50-over the captaincy as well, but they then decided to do that anyway, um, which, uh, you know, installing Rohit Sharma as the 50-over captain. So, um, gosh... He doesn't deserve to be treated in anything other than uh, with great respect. And if mm. um, you read some of the reports, that's not necessarily what's been happening. So, oh, I'd love to be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall to to be able to get to um, uh, give further elucidation on that. But I think, that, yeah, we're all speculating. But um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be an interesting conversation to have with him. Paul, really appreciate it, mate. Uh, great stuff. Enjoy the rest of the fourth test. Thanks for joining us on the overnight crowd. Good on you, mate. Paul Dennett from Cricket Daily and Cricket Unfiltered. They're the podcast to like and subscribe and uh, download 
daily as well as they do do a update following each day of Ashes Test Match play. That's uh, Paul and Andrew Menzel, or Menners, as you might have heard across uh, various shows here on the SEN Network. We uh, love their work and really appreciate them giving up their time to join us on the various shows. But Paul Dennett joining us on the Overnight Crowd as we wrapped a big day of cricket in the fourth Ashes Test with uh, England finally arriving, is it fair to say, at the moment with Johnny Bairstow peeling off a ton, Ben Stokes out there and lasting for a long time, but he made Nathan Lyon look good towards the end of the day as well after uh, Gary the Goat himself having a bit of a dirty day, bowling quite flat with uh, commentators across uh, all of the bands making mention of it today. So interested in your thoughts on the day's play and across uh, the series so far, if you made anything out of the Bangladesh versus New Zealand match and also the uh, South Africa versus India series, we'd love to hear from you on the overnight crowd, 0433981116, or plenty of time for you to jump on, have a chat on the SEN airwaves on the overnight crowd, 1300 736 it's Paul Heater Heath in the studio with you for this Friday night, headed into Saturday morning around the SEN network. Happy weekend to all involved, and we'll be right back on the other side of this break. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato, and aioli. So we doubled it chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10 30 a.m. for a limited time only.